Yeah. So all we want to do is just transform international development. Right. Basically. Okay. So that's easy, right? That's not hard. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one's ever tried that before. Surely we'll be <laughs> able to do that in time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll have that done by 2023. No problem. Great. Perfect. Glad I yeah. got help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, thanks. <laughs> This is the Orientalist Express Podcast, episode 32. This is the show that brings together young professionals from all over the world to discuss a variety of topics related to the Middle East, American foreign policy, and international relations. The goal of this podcast is to make American foreign policy interesting and easy to understand for those who don't follow it too closely. I am Nicholas Hayen, founder of the Orientalist Express site and president of the board of directors for the Minnesota International NGO Network. I'm joined today in the virtual studio by guest star Sasha Nicole. Sasha is founder and CEO of Emanate International. Emanate International is a brand new organization that is focused on providing resources to help nonprofit, NGO, and social enterprise leaders to think critically about how they do their international development work. In particular, Emanate hosts a variety of videos and content centered on ensuring equitable development without disrupting local economies or displacing the very aid recipients that it's supposed to benefit. So Emanate's content is available on YouTube, Patreon, and their website, emanateinternational.org. And Sasha will also be speaking during a breakout session at the upcoming MIN Summit on October 7th. So the MIN Summit is a hybrid in-person and virtual event that brings together MIN's international development practitioners for networking, informative breakout sessions, and a panel discussion of international NGO founders. And I should also mention that we have a keynote address from the African Union Ambassador to the United States. So I'm pretty excited about that. You can, of course, get your tickets now at minnesotangos.org. So, Sasha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. It's great to be here. So uh, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, how did you get involved in international development and what sort of drives that passion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was definitely, I would say, anything but a linear journey. I started out as a high school French teacher, and uh, in 2011, I was invited to help lead a youth group to Haiti. And the reason I was asked to go is because it was high schoolers, and they speak French in Haiti, and so they thought, well, you know the language, and you're good with the youth, uh, you would be really useful. <laughs> and so um, so that first time, I kind of just thought, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to help with this one trip, and thought that that would be it. And... I remember being really impressed with the Haitians that I met. Um, They all just had this kind of this drive to make Haiti a better country. A lot of them talked about wanting to go to the United States and get education and then come back and be doctors or, um, you know, nurses or engineers or whatever it was, but they really felt compelled to help their country. Um, And they weren't looking for for people to solve their problems for them. They felt that they could do that themselves, which I was very impressed with. Um, so that definitely sat with me. And then fast forward a few years after that, um, I ended up, just through a series of events, I ended up leaving teaching. I'll just say, mainly I was burnt out <laughs> on that. Um, but through a series of events, I learned about fair trade as a concept. And I was very interested in this idea that business could be a means to help people, um, to give them an opportunity and then they can provide for their own needs. 
So after a lot of research and reflection, I ended up reaching out to a woman that I knew there to see about uh, a collaboration with um, some kind of a fair trade project. And she was very excited to do it. I was, I said, you know, I just want to help these women. That's, that's why I'm interested in this. And I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm willing to help how I can. And so uh, we were going to have them make mittens and scarves because uh, in Minnesota, where we're from, uh, those are essential needs in the winter and cotton grows uh, naturally in Haiti. So we thought, well, that's easy. We don't have to ship down materials. They can generate them themselves. We just have to teach them to knit and uh, bring these products to market in Minnesota and then eventually expand to other states, ideally. Um, well, long story short, uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, communication was a little bit challenging. I wouldn't get a lot of uh, responses to emails for, say, months at a time. And then uh, literally one day in November, she showed up with 200 hats, and I had no idea that these women were even making hats. And um, <laughs> so I, th I threw a party, and my friends are really nice and bought all these um, hats that none of no two hats looked alike no two are the same size style etc so um i learned very quickly that that was not the best collaboration and then fast forward a few years later i ended up helping with some microfinance work and um also with haiti but and with that woman as part of the the collaboration but another woman who was american who was preparing to live down there so communication would have been easier but again long story short that completely fell through and that was when I realized that I do have this passion for using business as a means to help people in Haiti. And I, I wasn't sure how that was going to all come together, but it was it was very strong and very consistent. And so I started working in sales to learn about business. And then I started, I pursued my master's in nonprofit management, um, really to learn, to learn more about how do you run a nonprofit? How do you run an organization? Because Having been trained as a teacher, there's it's a very different skill set. And about halfway through my master's program, a position at Haiti Outreach opened up. And Haiti Outreach focuses on sustainable access to clean water. And they have a very similar model in there and how they train the communities, which was similar to the training model that my business partner and I were working on in terms of microfinance, where they write their own business plan for how they're going to manage the well, and it's very much sustained by the local people. The local people um, come to the organization and say, we want this for a community. We don't require that. And so I was very impressed with the philosophy, very much aligned on that. And so I applied for that position and got it. And I'm still working there full time. I'm their development director there and still very much um very much 100% aligned with their mission and philosophy in terms of development. Um, but as I was finishing my master's, I for my final project, I wrote a handbook uh, that I do hope to publish at some point, and it's called What is Our Exit Strategy? A Conversation That NGO Leaders Need to Be Having. And very much that same idea of if you really, as you know, as an outsider, so a Westerner, American, European, if you want to go into a developing country and you really want to help them, you should do it in a way that you essentially make yourself obsolete, where you know that if you, I think the best metrics should, for success should be that you can walk away and if whatever you help them with is still, still running or still effective, then you know you did your job well. Um, and so... Uh, during COVID, actually, I was I was kind of just feeling like I needed a new challenge, something something different, 
and I was thinking, should I, should I bring that capstone out and should I do some more research and kind of make it into a book? And I just didn't feel like it was the right time. I still feel like I'm very new in this field and feel like I have a lot to learn. And as I thought about it, I thought, what if instead of promoting my work, what if I created a platform where I could promote organizations who already get it and who are already living out this philosophy? And not only that, but are seeing tangible results and are proving that it works. And so that's how Emanate came into, into to the scene. And so that idea came about um, last November. And uh, so I spent December really researching everything that I would need to know, like video editing and how do you how do you put videos on YouTube and start a YouTube channel and, and all of that and um, and then coming up with a name and so and I brought together a committee to help with the name which was really great and then officially registered in January of 2021 and then have just been kind of hitting the ground running ever since. So. No, that's excellent and that's. I think you really spoke to the irony of the international development sphere where, you know, we all want to do good and we all want to, we want to be needed, but then at the same time, we, we know that we shouldn't be needed ultimately. If, if things go well, we should be able to just walk away and everything's fine. You know, we want to make our jobs completely obsolete, which is the irony of that. And it sounds like that trajectory is very similar to what a lot of people have felt. You know, we, we start out, going, you know, okay, we're going to go to this country and we're going to just by sheer force of our own awesomeness, make things so much better. And very quickly, we all have that moment in that experience where we realize it's a lot harder than that. And it is humbling too, because you realize maybe I, as an outsider, don't actually know what people in these nations, in these developing countries need. And maybe it's time to take a step back and, and ask them specifically, how can we help the most? What do you actually want us to help with? Because as you mentioned, a lot of times they don't want, you know, they don't want handouts. They just want the ability to, to make a better life for themselves. You know, they want a hand up, not a handout, essentially. Exactly. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more then about Emanate International specifically. What, what are you doing and whom are you looking mm-hmm. to serve in that role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say the, the main thing we do is I interview leaders and uh, because we're all over the world, um, I interview them on Zoom and we record the interview and we put the interview on YouTube. And so for the organizations, and more often than not, they're usually smaller organizations, more grassroots organizations that are very much entrenched with the communities and um, you know they're not the larger ones. And so it gives them a new platform to promote their work. And one of my hopes for this is that it will give them a new, um, new access to new prospective donors or supporters. Um, Cause I know that uh, small nonprofits don't always have the biggest marketing budget. So this is a service that I offer as a way to say, you know, share a little bit of your time with me and I will promote your work um, in some new ways. So there's that aspect for, for those who participate. And then my hope for viewers, um, there's kind of a few layers to that. One is I would like, um, you know, for people who maybe not, um, are maybe not in the field, but are donors to have case studies or examples of organizations that are working really well and kind of learn how to be a responsible donor. Um, We talk a lot about in these interviews and just in the sector in general, kind of this 
disconnect between funding and um, impact. And a lot of times the larger donors will have this uh, laundry list of expectations of we're going to you know, fund X amount, we need to see X amount of outcomes, and they may not really understand what it takes to get those outcomes. And, and, and quite frankly, with this kind of philosophy, some of the, you know, quote unquote, outcomes are not as tangible, but have a greater impact. So just to give you a really specific example, it can be really attractive to say, hey, we fed 500 kids today and it was only 25 cents per meal and wasn't that wonderful and the donor feels like, wow, for you know $20 I did this amazing thing and don't I feel good about myself? Um, whereas we might say, well, we trained a community today and it cost us probably, I don't know, $1,000 for the whole training, um, but we don't think about the fact that you know if you train the community, however long that process takes, once that training is done, they can move on and keep using that information, whereas the 500 kids are going to be hungry again tomorrow. And so, you know, I come I, I come from a marketing background, and I, I kind of see this disconnect of the way I word it is a difference between an impact rate and a success rate because they're not quite the same. So I think the 500 meals would be a, a fancy success rate, but an impact rate is really what what is your long-term sustainable impact. And so um, part of my hope through Emanate, and not only through the interviews, but also articles and um, educational videos that I've created and put on YouTube and on the website as well, are just, um, it's really just information to help people understand, um, to think critically about the impact that their, their donations are making as well, so that they can be uh, smart donors. And then also as kind of a case study for anybody who's in the field or young professionals who want to be in the field, to have this whole, um, you know, this all these resources again of uh, real organizations that are having um, sustainable impact on communities' lives, um, and then also academic resources in terms of those articles and and white papers and all of that. And then for me, an unexpected benefit is that um, that I've discovered is when I talk to these leaders, very often. They tell me they feel like they're alone in this. They feel like they're kind of going against so many bigger organizations that um, might seem really fancy and have th the best marketing and all of that, um, and they feel like they're the only ones that are getting this philosophy. And I just want to say, no, but you're not, and look at all these people I can connect you with. And so um, when I realized that, I started doing a monthly email, um, and I, I send the email to partners as well as to people that are just interested in this work. So. Really, anyone can be on that list, um, but it's a way also for them to network within themselves. So if you know, if you say you're in the clean water um, sector, and you see, and say you're in Haiti, and you see someone in Ghana doing clean water, and you want to learn about a tool that they said they're using, you can reach out to them and ask them. So it's it's been kind of an unintended network in and of itself, and so um, so so far that's what it is. Uh, you know, it's very much what Min is trying to accomplish too in that same space of trying to network and to get, trying to get organizations to see who is doing what, where, and how can we, you know, not duplicate efforts. How can we learn from each other? Um, and I think that you really, really nailed it with how difficult it is to, what you said, you know, impact versus results-based outcomes. Because I imagine that the marketing, the big marketing push is in, you know, 
seeing the the suffering people and you have to give money now because they're literally starving to death that's so much easier to market and to to push out into the world rather than just hey we trained some people and turns out they don't need us anymore so we don't need your money anymore (laughs) but really we still do you know it's it's so much harder and and it's it is encouraging to see um you know like i think of a light you know used to be american refugee committee that's part of the reason they rebranded is they didn't want that label of refugee. They didn't want to focus on the negatives. They wanted to focus on the positives. So it's it's getting there. But yeah, you're right. It's it's difficult to sort of decouple those two things. Yep, it is. You know, just a comment on the marketing thing too. I've read research on this and that, you know, I know in the 90s it was really popular to have all these um, videos of these poor children in Africa with the big bellies and the flies mm-hmm. and all of that. And um, and that kind of marketing, it does generate a quick response in terms of a, a donation, but it doesn't procure a continual response. People, donors want to see that what they're doing actually is lasting long term. So if you want to retain your donors, showing that long term impact is actually a much better strategy. And, and there's data to prove it um, to say, like, this is, you know, you contributed to this well last year and it's still working or you know, you did this project and it's still working 20 years from now, they do, there is, there is research to prove that people are much more on board with promoting or getting behind that. So that's hopeful, I think, is a, you know, when we talk about that mentality shift of how do we promote this? Um, And I think too, you know, as a Westerner, I think, um, and I've been guilty about this, you know, coming into this as an American, but I think we need to understand that some of the people, many of the people in developing countries are so much more innovative than we are. <laughs> and why do we think that just because we had the privilege to receive an education or we were born into homes where we had running water and um, certain advantages, why do we think that we know better? <laughs> you know, we haven't walked in their shoes. We haven't experienced the things that they have. And I, a common theme I hear over and over again in these conversations is how crucial it is to listen Mm -hmm. and to learn from them. And then, you know, with humility say, okay, you know, maybe I can offer you some support and, you know, maybe it's helping you with a a seed capital grant, or maybe it's helping you learn a skill to accompany what you're already doing. Um, So there definitely is a place for collaboration, I would say. Um, but we definitely want to be really cognizant of how we do that, um, really out of respect for for the people that we're ultimately hoping to serve. Yeah, they can do some amazing things if you just give them the shot, you know, and don't assume that you know better. That's um, exactly. without getting too much into it. That's kind of you know the reason for why I've named this the Orientalist Express podcast. You know, Orientalism is this idea that the West has when it views the other, you know, specifically the Orient as it used to be called. And because we would used to view it in a historical context of just weird and backwards and foreign, and they're not as smart or as developed or as, you know, capable. But um, I mean, it's, it's just a complete lie. Like they're, they're just as, just as great as, as any of us and just as smart and capable, but sometimes they just lack the, the physical resources to execute on what they need to do. Right, exactly. It's just kind of a tiny pivot or a small little adjustment to help them get on their way very often. Yeah. So you mentioned a bit um, about sustainable development specifically. So how does how does Emanate work to advance sustainable development and what does that look like yeah. to you? Yeah. So um, my 
definition of sustainable development, if you will, is that it's whatever initiative is, is put in place is in fact maintained long-term by the people without any kind of intervention from an NGO or from an outside party. And that's one of the questions before, before I interview anybody for our YouTube channel, um, and sometimes even before I do a meet and greet on Zoom that's not recorded, is I will ask them really straightforward questions about how do you how do you know that your work is in fact sustainable? How are you measuring that? How can you prove that? Um, what is your impact? What does sustainable mean to you? And I make sure that that's one of the interview questions we ask. Um, I let the partners um, have a lot of control over what questions are asked, but I tell them there's a few that we're we, we have to have, and that's one of them, um, because, you know, kind of like we said earlier, there's, there's benefits to the community when it's sustained by the community, benefits to the donors, because they're not wasting their money, um, and so, you know, there's a lot of aspects to, you know, to really get into the weeds of what is sustainable. It would depend a little bit on what the initiative is, so there's financial sustainability, there could be agricultural sustainability, there could be, um, you know, if it's, if you're offering health services, there's some kind of a, a management system that's set up so that that service is sustained by the local people and resources are accessible, um, ideally locally whenever possible. Um, and so really, kind of going back to my initial definition is, you know it's sustainable if the local people can do it without you. Yeah, I think that's a good benchmark. It's It sounds like that ties into, I know you mentioned at one point about development without displacement. Um, could you elaborate on that a little bit? I, I would think that sustainable development really ties into that as well. Sure. And do you mean, um, um, when you say displacement, do you mean so that people can stay in their homes? Um, or do you yeah. mean without dependency? Um, I guess both, you know, so that they could stay in their homes and so that it doesn't disrupt the the market that currently already exists. Yeah, I mean, that too is where I kind of say when it comes to relief, there's kind of this mentality of, of sending meals or sending clothes to these impoverished countries, again, thinking that you're being helpful, not considering the repercussions of putting local businesses out of business, which then leads to an economic crisis in those places. And so for one, I definitely would say, you know, with the exception of a natural disaster or war where people truly need your help, um, that kind of a method, a, um, a model just is not, it's, that's not sustainable for one because already we've gone against the definition of <laughs> <laughs> stepping away. You know that you're present in yeah. that. It's an outsider. So you already have outside influence. So you know it's not sustainable. Um, but then I also, um, I mean, as much as I love economics and I love kind of the data side of things, I just think about the human dignity of, of, um, of being able to work and being able to find your own solutions. And when we come in with our own solutions, we essentially circumvent that. And I think it's you know not only detrimental from um, a financial or an economic standpoint, but just from a, a sheer human um, drive standpoint, I think we're all wired to be productive members of our societies and whatever capacity that looks like and um so not letting the local people be part of those conversations and be part of that change um is detrimental also from an intrinsic standpoint in my opinion yeah i guess i'm thinking an example would be um, 
So like, you know, at the end of every Super Bowl, the losing team still has a million printed t-shirts, right? And they all just get dumped <laughs> into, you know, developing nations and you see kids in Africa wearing them, which you'd think, oh, that's that's great. Now they have a shirt. But what did that do for the local textile industry? You know, did that just put a bunch of people out of business because we we just dumped a bunch of supplies in there and now now they don't have a market anymore? Yeah. And not only that, but I think so. Okay, so we've we've addressed one element of this circular flow that leads to a flourishing society is people having businesses so or people having jobs. So when people have jobs, businesses can employ more people. So you've got a little bit of a cycle there too. But we also forget about the importance of having government participate in the development of the country. So let's put corruption aside because that's a whole other topic that I'm not equipped <laughs> to really address in this podcast um, or probably <laughs> in general. It gets complicated, um, yeah. But it does. It's very messy. But let's just, let's, you know, all else equal, assuming no corruption, you know, if people are paying taxes on their income or for the products or services that they're purchasing, now the government can receive revenue that they then can invest in public goods like clean water infrastructure roads, which help deliver those services or those products. And then also education and helping children go to school. And when children are in school and people are well fed, they're not living in scarcity. And when we're not living in scarcity, what happens? Violence decreases. And so we have what we call this virtuous economic cycle that should exist in a healthy society. And we we don't think about you know, when you want to send those uh, NFL t-shirts down, you're not thinking about the repercussions of shipping a box of t-shirts down there, but the repercussions are wider than just that box of t-shirts. You're not only putting people out of business, but then you're also minimizing any progress that the government could make. And something that we talk about too in our interviews is just the importance of, um, you know, NGO stands for non-governmental organization, which is a nonprofit in the United States. And an NGO fills a gap that either the public sector, so businesses and government sector, doesn't fill. But all too often, and and there's a place for that, and a lot of times they can work in collaboration in the U.S. and in other countries. But a lot of times in countries like Haiti, for sure, and probably other developing countries, NGOs take over governmental roles. And because NGOs come in with a project mentality and they're there for a temporary time, Again, that's not addressing the sustainability of whatever the issue is. What you really need is collaboration with the government to be monitoring and maintaining all of that and ensuring that you know the roads are being maintained, the wells are being maintained, whatever the, the quote-unquote project is. So again, kind of going back to that helper mentality, this is where you know we as outsiders really want to think very critically about okay, is this really going to be helpful long-term, not just for the minute? Um, you know, I can put a Band-Aid on a cut, but am I really going to heal the wound long-term? And so um, so I think really that, um, you know, what we call a circular flow where all of those entities are working in synergy together. You've got households, so individuals, you've got private businesses, and then you've got the government. And if you have, and I won't get into the financial entities as well in imports and exports but if you have those entities working effectively in synergy the potential for flourishing of a society is that much greater and I think that's where we need to um, need to be more aware as as outsiders when we come into a country to understand 
the repercussions of, you know, any quote unquote help that we offer. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And it's exactly where I think the, for lack of a better word, industry of international development mm-hmm. should go is, is towards that direction. So I think you've definitely, um, you're really onto something there. I guess, what, what are the future goals then for m You know, what's that five to 10 year vision look like? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, so I, you know, right now I just kind of want to, I want to, I want to build it in an organic, healthy pace. So I don't put a lot of pressure on it being something amazing or huge right now. But in the future, I would love for it to be uh, an organization where people can come in and become members. So there would be benefits from that, such as access to events or certain articles, networking, potential jobs, listservs, things like that. So on a, you know, on a practical level, there's that. Um, next January uh, would be my soonest goal, and perhaps it'll be a little later, but I'm, I'm intending to offer some classes as well. There'll be virtual classes, but very much on topics related to uh, development and sustainable development. And those classes, I think, could be really beneficial for, uh, like I said, people who, who want to enter the field, um, as a resource for people who are in the field and really want to reevaluate, are we doing this well? Um, and I think very specifically for charities uh, to kind of learn about, okay, how can we do this better? Um, so classes would kind of be the next step in terms of what we want to offer. And then down the road, I would love for it to be a membership organization. And then my um, kind of medium-sized dream is uh, I would love for it to be similar to like a charity navigator for uh, specifically for development organizations. So if you, as a donor, want to want to know that your donations are helping really develop a country and not just serve a temporary need, you can go to Emanate and you can see, oh, they're listed. Okay, they're good. They're, you know, they've been endorsed by Emanate, so they must be doing this well. Um, and then, too, I would love to be engaging some of those larger entities like USAID or the United Nations um, and having conversations because I, I see this gap between those larger organizations that have financial resources and the smaller organizations that are doing really wonderful work but just don't have the capital to advance it, uh, I think, as well as they could, or maybe even just the capital to market it and help people understand the, the impact rate that they're, that they're making. Yeah, and I think getting, you know, the long, long-term vision of getting in front of USAID, getting in front of the UN, you know, that's, that's where the biggest, that's where you're going to be able to steer those largest organizations, and those largest, um, you know, NGOs, because it's really there, it's like that board of directors, it's those high dollar value donors that, as you said, are kind of dictating like what's supposed to happen. And if we can get to them and convince them that, you know, creating the infrastructure for success is going to be much more beneficial than just, you know, throwing food or, or medical supplies at the problem, like that's where we can finally create a transformational change within international development. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think there's, there's room for all, all players to really participate in this conversation. It doesn't have to be an us versus them conversation. I hear that a lot, but I do, I do see an opportunity for, for effective collaboration on all ends. Yeah. So all we want to do is just transform international development. 
Right, basically. Okay. So that's easy, right? That's not hard. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one's ever tried that before. Surely we'll be <laughs> able had a to hard do time that with it. Time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll have that done by 2023. No problem. Great, perfect. Glad I yeah. could help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, thanks. <laughs> cool. So I guess speaking of helping, what could our listeners do that would be the most impactful or beneficial to you and to emanate? You know, how can people really get involved? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. So there's, there's a handful of ways, um, you know, the simplest, the lowest involvement way is to subscribe to our channel and then like our videos, comment, share the videos with people, uh, join our email list. Um, you can send me an email at emanateinternational.org at gmail.com and ask to be put on the list and I'll put you on the list or go to our contact uh, page and just submit a request to be on the email list and either way. I will happily put you on the list. So that's the lowest end. I would say the next tier above that would be to support us on Patreon. And on Patreon, we have um, very similar resources to what's what's on YouTube. Um, there's different levels. $7 a month is the lowest, up to 20 And in full transparency, what that allows me to do is have a marketing budget for Emanate so that I can then um, promote the interviews on social media and put a little money behind them and I can use Google ads and um, it just helps me to to scale a little bit what we're doing um, and then taking a class or signing up for a class I think would be a wonderful way to participate as well. So. Cool yeah and I know um, Min is looking to kind of partner in that in some way we're we're still working out the details you know behind the scenes there but um, you know we're definitely happy to help kind of support that because like I mentioned you know our missions are very much aligned here so there's no reason why we should be at odds Um, and you know I'm I'm supporting your Patreon right now I think it's great yes Um, and I appreciate it yeah you know definitely anyone who wants to you know help us to you know just take care of the small goal of transforming international development um, I would highly recommend being a being a Patreon subscriber there thank you appreciate that and, you know, just to highlight what you just said, too, about we're not at odds, That's I think that's what, what's sort of beautiful about this work is that we all win <laughs> when we all support each other and we all collaborate. There's no, there's no loss here. The idea is that we ultimately want human flourishing. We're all working towards the same goal. And I don't know, I find that really exciting because I think the more we can collaborate and the more we communicate, um, the more we get the word out there. And that's ultimately, that's ultimately a huge step in in this transformation. Yeah. So speaking of getting the word out there, you will be at the Men's Summit on October 7th. So um, yes, you'll be a breakout speaker. Can you tell me a little bit more about the breakout topic you'll be uh, discussing? Yeah, absolutely. So we've touched a little bit on the topic in this podcast. Um, but the title is What is Circular Flow and Why Should Charities Care? And circular flow is just a macroeconomic term and it's um, it basically engages, so the three entities I mentioned, households, private, and public, and then addition, there's the financial sector, and then there's imports and import, exports, and how all those entities work together um, to have a what we would call a virtuous economic cycle. And we're going to talk about examples of uh, organizations that have done similar to what we discussed, sending down t-shirts, for example, or sending down rice, and then... Um, and really have a conversation about, okay, so here is a model. How could we improve this model? 
Um, and so I'm not going to come in with a specific answer. I'll come in with some thoughts, but I'm really going to let the participants share their insights about, okay, how could we improve this? If I were running this organization, how would I do this better? Um, really, because it's kind of like a mini think tank to just um, to just kind of encourage people, like I said, to think critically about about these kinds of efforts. And I guess in the same way that you don't, that we as international development practitioners don't want to dictate to you know the people who are receiving the aid how they should get it and what they should do. You also don't want to dictate to the people in the session and say, right. like, "Hey, do this, right. this, and this, and you'll be successful." It's very exactly. much a conversation. Yep, exactly. It's kind of that whole philosophy. You have to live it out. You know, even in you know even in a situation like leading a breakout session, it's the same idea. I don't have the answers, but um, together we can talk about them and, and hopefully find some better answers. Definitely. So any, anything else you want to mention then? Um, just thank you so much for, um, for this opportunity to talk about Emanate and to put it before an audience of people who'd be interested. And, um, you know, and I really want to highlight, I really respect and appreciate what Min is doing. Because um, again, I think we, we have very similar visions and goals, um, but different ways that we carry them out. And so I'm excited too about the collaboration between Min and Emanate. I think there's a lot that we can do to kind of reach gaps where the other isn't necessarily able to reach and so i think it's exciting that that we can collaborate and i'm i'm thrilled to be a part of it so thank you well we're just happy to have you around yeah thanks <laughs> cool well yeah thanks again for coming on the show we really enjoyed having you here yeah thank you it was a pleasure and i um if anyone has any questions feel free to send me an email we're also on linkedin you can follow us or facebook so um don't be a stranger i always love hearing from people and uh and welcome thoughts so thank you And that's it for this episode of the Orientalist Express podcast. I would like to once again thank my guest Sasha for joining the show today and for Emanate's excellent work and partnership with Min. Thanks, of course, as always, to our listeners and readers of the blog. Be sure to check out our website at orientalistexpress.com, like and share on our Facebook page, or tweet us at orientalistexp. And go check out Emanate's website at emanateinternational.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.